Chapter 20. Insult Before Dinner I had Henry contact Parsival to supply a few more heraldic devices and house tunics for my two new vassals. I would have liked to have a stock, but unfortunately, the tunics had to be tailor-fitted to the individual. Parsival confronted this new circumstance with his typical aplomb, simply taking measurements and getting to work. Several hours later, he once again demonstrated why he was a ranked grandmaster tailor. The workmanship was as meticulous as every piece he'd fashioned. I briefly considered trying to poach one of his journeyman assistants, but ultimately decided it would be bad form to return his graciousness and professionalism with such an underhanded tactic. It seemed sleazy and disingenuous. Perhaps it might be best to skip this banquet and leave, I suggested. I wasn't really interested in meeting a room full of Lord Kell's hand-picked toadies. And I was certain Lady Patricia, at least, was going to do her best to embarrass me, if nothing else. We could use the discovery of a faded Anamkara as a legitimate excuse, I'd think. The etiquette for presenting Anamkara is pretty straightforward, Lana informed us. They must be presented at the earliest opportunity to the highest-ranked authority in the area. Lord Kell is this fief's duly appointed ruler and ranked. It would be a breach of protocol and precedent to not present Euron and me to him. Do you have concerns about security? I know of your kidnapping and the attempts to murder you while under Lord Kell's protection. We spent an hour bringing her up to speed, the Olympians and Asgardians. The incursion into the Summerlands system errors and discrepancies, the findings from blacksmith Dar, and the conversation I'd overheard between Lord Kell and Lady Patricia. I think the biggest concern I have is one of motivation, I said after Lorna had been filled in. Why are they so insistent on this banquet? Is it really about repairing his damaged reputation? Doubtful, Euron said. There has to be a hidden goal, especially if they are allied with Zeus and Odin, as we suspect. I think at best we don't allow ourselves to become embroiled in any further plots and maneuvers they may be anticipating, I decided. Instead of attending tomorrow's banquet, we will leave a day early. We can present Euron and Lorna to Duke Adoin to satisfy that obligation. Mandatory system quest generated. Attend Lord Kell and Lady Patricia's banquet. Be vigilant and identify any further evidence that may link their actions with Olympus and Asgard. Did anyone else get the mandatory quest? I wondered. It was apparent they hadn't from the confused looks on their faces. I just received a mandatory quest to attend the banquet and see if I could find any further evidence of a conspiracy. That seems awfully convenient, Cedric said thoughtfully. Do you think the quest may have something to do with the system errors? that have been reported. Possible, but this seems more targeted, almost as if someone has managed to gain the ability to influence system, I suggested. Carrot, do you think S-Prime is interfering? I asked. It is possible. The only other options are that the quest really is assigned by system based on your actions, or someone else has access to system and is monitoring your actions or has encoded certain responses that will be triggered by system 
if conditions are met, what would be the consequences of ignoring the quest and intentionally failing a mandatory quest? I asked. It varies based on the importance of the quest ignored, Euron said. Are you aware of the divergent timeline theory? Lana asked. I don't think so, I replied. Researchers have posited the theory that the timeline branches when certain actions or decisions are taken. Small choices made by trillions of individuals have a cumulative effect. And when that effect grows too large, system generates mandatory quests to keep the timelines from splitting or diverging. Ignoring a mandatory quest that has been system generated to correct timeline divergence has led to catastrophic results. There are a few anecdotal incidents that have demonstrated a causal relationship between ignoring the quest and major environmental events, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes. There have also been recorded instances when scientists have attempted to prove the relationship by monitoring events when a mandatory quest was intentionally ignored to understand system response, only for nothing to have happened. The divergent timeline correction was finally hypothesized as an eventual theory. If the quest generated is a requirement to ease the bottleneck and keep the universe from splitting, then ignoring it would force system to respond in a more violent manner to correct the anomaly. No real choice then. I said, sighing. Not unless I want to risk being responsible for possible consequences. All right. Since Euron, Lorna, and I have to attend, should we bring anyone else? Certainly. You need to include Cedric. He's your first vassal, and it would be seen as a slight to both him and Lord Kell if he didn't escort you, Lorna said. Anyone else would be at your discretion. Did your negotiations include a possibility of additional quests and guards? Prince Mac arranged for six guards and a guest to attend, Henry supplied. After some consultation, we decided that Cedric, Lorna, Euron, and I would attend the banquet with just four guards. Rill and Gil were selected because of their familiarity with Lord Cal's keep and their roguelike abilities. The two additional guards were Draken and Cullen, who were hired the first day we began building my guards, and were most familiar with their duties, were also included. They had already begun to train together under Euron's direction, and shown great flashes of brilliance when dueling. What made them well-suited to form a team wasn't so much their weapon of choice, as much as it was that one wielded a weapon in their right hand and the other in their left. Side by side, their field of battle was enlarged simply by positioning them to take advantage of this characteristic. We also decided to bring a few Aziza. Their small size would allow them to gather evidence and ferret out secrets, while we were engaged in hopeful schadenfreude. I just hoped the misfortune wasn't ours. Time seemed to fly as it often does, a blink, and hours have passed until a hidden threshold is passed, and the passage slows until the time seems to stop. Our party was outfitted and prepared to head out an hour ahead of time. But Lorna informed us that being fashionably late was required. The higher ranked, the later one was expected to arrive. Cedric and I spent the time channel surfing, 
searching entertainment streams that allowed me to understand more intimately what was popular. There didn't appear to be a talk show or celebrity gossip program. Dramas were highly stylized illusions that depicted historical events. The news was tailored towards and propagandized for the ruling monarchs. But most of the available content seemed to be tailored towards craftsmen. Reality shows that demonstrated technique and innovation for a myriad disparate lexicon of crafts and interests. Gardening, cooking, needlepoint. If a craft existed, then a magic stream existed to encourage the novice to the grandmaster. We departed so that we would time our arrival to be exactly one hour late. The precedent long since established. We were simply victims of ennui and a hidebound society that could live forever and their inability or unwillingness to adapt. This was the first time I'd seen Lord Cal's keep since my abrupt departure. Although obvious signs of welcome were displayed, tapestries and flags emblazoned with my device, nothing could soften the stark features the keep had been modeled on. It had obviously been designed with battle in mind. I admitted to myself that the keep had aged well. I had no idea how many centuries it had been since it was constructed, but it still exuded the same steadfastness and sturdiness it must have had when newly constructed. It was built on a bedrock of enduring functional architecture, and things like comfort and utilitarian design were ignored. The skimmer we rode in was greeted by the keep's major domo, Desmond Akel, and had butler Ewan Akel upon our arrival. I found it interesting that Lord Kell and his family were nowhere in sight. You would have thought he would send his daughter at the minimum to greet me. I could only conclude that Lord Kell was angry with me, and this slight was probably just the first of many he had planned for tonight's event. Prince de Belros, Lord Kell extends his greetings and acknowledges guest rights. He asked that I assure you no repeat of the attack or kidnapping will occur this night, Major Domo Akel said, immediately attempting to ignore the provocation Lord Kell's slight had fostered. I didn't believe it. Lord Kell had proven, at the minimum, he had no idea what was going on in his own fortress. More likely, he knew and encouraged those actions. I did believe Lord Kell instructed his major domo to make this promise, but the promise was made by proxy. I wasn't sure it would remain valid if circumstance demanded action. I nodded. To let the major domo know, I'd heard his words, but I refused to respond. There was no point. Lord Kell was flexing his metaphorical muscle and attempting to either intimidate me by demonstrating how much more powerful he was than me, mollify me with words and platitudes, or demean me by demonstrating how little regard he gave my rank and level. Either way, it served no purpose to vent my anger and disgust on staff. I was sure I would have plenty of time over the next few hours to return the slight. My thoughts became prophetic just moments later, after we entered the foyer and were walking towards the ballroom that had been converted for tonight's banquet. Desmond explained how the night's events would proceed. Once your highness has been announced, Squire Lian, Lord Kel's heir, 
will step forward to escort you to the dais. You will be seated on Lord Kell's left, while Squire Lian will be seated to your immediate right. I stopped abruptly, forcing those surrounding and following to pause in confusion. That won't be happening. Knight Cedric, Knight Euron, and Knight Lorne are my sworn vassals and will be seated appropriately. You will have to change the seating arrangements, I demanded. But, Your Highness, the dais will not support three more seats. We might be able to squeeze one of your people in, but three is an impossibility. The dais simply isn't large enough, Desmond said, obsequiously. His voice an intent, slimy and assured, certain that he and Lord Kell had the upper hand, and I was left with no recourse. He was wrong. In that case, please give Lord Kell my apologies. Giving actions to words, I turned and started walking back to the entrance of the keep. Your Highness? Desmond asked, flustered for the first time. Since Lord Kell is unable to accommodate this simple request, I see no reason to participate in tonight's banquet. Unfortunately, we are departing tomorrow, so there will be no time to reschedule, I clarified, continuing to head towards the exit. Major Domo, Desmond misspoke, Your Highness, Head Butler Ewan said frantically. It will take but a moment to make arrangements. Please, if you wouldn't mind waiting a few moments in the atrium, attached to the ballroom, my staff and I will make adjustments to seating to accommodate your vassals. Desmond was obviously fuming, both at my demand and Ewan's capitulation, but I couldn't care less. I refused to start this evening at even more of a disadvantage, and separating me from my supporters would accomplish exactly that. Ewan and his staff were efficient. We spent barely ten minutes waiting before he informed us they were ready. Motioning for my guards to check out and clear the room, we waited another minute or two, until they returned to inform me it was safe. Nodding to acknowledge their assessment, we moved to the ballroom entrance. His Highness Prince Mac de Belleros, Knights Cedric V. Mac, Euron V. Mac, and Lorne V. Mac, a crier shouted, announcing our presence and drawing the attention of everyone in the room. For a banquet, the hall seemed strangely devoid of tables. A path extended from the doorway across the room, leading to a raised dais. Chairs were stationed on multiple levels of the dais, with Lord Kell sitting stiffly in a throne on the highest riser. Next to him sat whom I assumed was his wife, Lady Patricia. There were multiple levels for the dais, but all other levels were strategically placed at a lower level. It was obvious from the empty four seats that it had been placed several risers below Lord Kell that he meant to demonstrate my position to his was subservient. Desmond had informed me that Leanne would introduce herself and escort me to my chair, but my anger at his blatant insult had me striding forward regardless of protocol or plans. This was a planned and blatant insult, and if I didn't respond, I would lose reputation, or demonstrate my ignorance of protocol owed to a ranked prince. Cedric, Euron, and Lorne moved to position themselves so that we formed a diamond pattern as we walked. Lorne and Euron to the left and right, with Cedric taking the rear position. And as I walked towards the dais, I released the healing aspect of Belaros' aura to make an impression on those gathered. 
I would have them know that my aspect and nature were the direct inheritance of Belarus. My body burst into flames as I walked, warm, soothing flickers of fire that left patches of soot and ash with my passing footsteps. The wild magic stirred once more, playing joyfully in my flames, illusions of fairies and fire elementals cavorting in time with the wild magic's joy, a dance of magic and flame that confirmed I had the blessing of the wild magic. Euron and Lorne responded as well, unable to ignore the wild magic's call. Their souls began shining with a profound counterpoint to my fire, shadow and light enhancing my performance. And it was a performance. I would demonstrate to all those gathered that Mac de Belleros had gained Belleros's lineage as well as his name. It's strange how people react. Although my act had the desired effect, it was Lorne and Euron that caused the most commotion, whispers becoming louder until demands for explanations resounded within the room. Anamkara. The voices whispered the title, the identification passing from person to person, disbelief and hope, the prevailing sentiment, the whispers gaining strength and force until the room was awash in the sounds of boisterous discussion. Seneschal Lorne, turning to face the room after I'd arrived at the risers, had compromised the dais. I addressed Lorne. Look around. You are well-versed in protocol and diplomacy. We were welcomed here, and assured guest rights that would be honored. Does that seem to be the case? I asked, my voice dripping with disdain and anger. No, your highness, she answered understanding what I meant for her to do. Perhaps they know no better, I said, disbelief and derision obvious. I suppose they can cry ignorance, but I believe it our duty to set matters straight. Educate them, so this ignorance will not be repeated. Yes, your highness, she said, before advancing to stand directly in front of me. Bowing her head slightly, she began. She was well suited as a taskmaster, and reminded me joyfully of the school headmaster scolding a classroom of unruly children. Protocol demands that when higher-ranking individuals acquiesce and deign to attend a function in their honor, then that individual is met and greeted by the highest-ranking official. Expecting a guest to wait in an outer solarium while available seating is requisitioned is bad form. Neglecting to inquire or include titles and honours of individuals when announcing their presence slights the guests and negates their accomplishments. Knight Euron is former commander of forces, vassal of House Belaros, and Anamkara of Knight Lorn. Knight Lorn is seneschal of House Belaros, vassal of House Belaros, and Anamkara of Knight Euron. Their union witnessed and consecrated by the wild magic. Knight Cedric is vassal of House Belaros, first among equals, and sworn right hand of Prince Mac de Belaros. Insults continued when the rituals of Anumkara were not conducted. No receiving line was established, and whispering, muttering, and shouting from lower-ranked individuals were allowed to transpire. She soldiered on. Finally, the Lord of Kel Fife and his lady maintained their seats as you approached, seats that were positioned higher than those afforded to Prince Belaros. This can only be seen as an intentional slight. It is well known, 
and system announced that Prince de Belleros outranks Lord Kell and his denizens. Prince Mac de Belleros was expressly invited here today to atone for the poor treatment he received as a guest. This ill treatment continues. One can only assume that the House of Kell holds the House of Belleros in despite and intends to engage in house war, she concluded. That last sentence had the same effect as a bomb being tossed into the room. Shouts of denial and fear began ringing out as guests that had flaunted my rank quickly rose to their feet. The crowd began clamoring, pushing and shoving at each other in an attempt to be heard or to fade into the background and not be noticed or seen. I was delighted at the effectiveness of my new seneschal and thought humorously that if she is only at expert level in diplomacy and management now, I would be in awe and fear of her skills when she reached grandmaster rank. The sound of clapping broke through the cacophony of noise, slow, loud, mocking. It originated behind me, and when I turned to locate who, I saw Lady Patricia DeKell standing resplendent and beautiful. She wore a flowing gown of gold shimmering as the light reflected her movements, sleeveless and strapless. She meant to seduce those who saw her, her alabaster skin glowing with health, the sculpted bodice of her dress, molded to emphasize and enhance her breasts. She used her beauty as a weapon, the dress, armor, as well as couture. Well done, Lorne. Patricia said, her condescension as evident as her disrespect, as she failed to include either Lorne's title or rank with her address. It's always so amusing watching peons try to ape those so far above them. Peons, Lady Patricia? Lorne asked, turning to address Patricia. We all start out as peons, even you. Opportunity and circumstance are the only things that separate the ranks. I wonder, if rank were based on merit, would all of us have the rank we have now? You think I haven't earned my rank? Patricia demanded to know. You? Maybe. But we all know people that have been those power leveled. Dom and Leanne, for instance. A few years apart in age, yet Leanne is ranked commoner, until Thom's disinheritance. But today, we discover she has suddenly been elevated to squire, and Thom, a ranked knight. I wonder, was he really that much more talented, or did you pour resources and experience into leveling him as quickly as possible? Thom has been cast out, Patricia hissed in fury. His name stricken from our house. That is true, I said interjecting myself into the conversation, and one wonders how he was raised to allow him to think his actions were acceptable. Seneschal Lorne has a valid point. The rich and powerful always find ways to take advantage of the rules. There is nothing wrong with helping your children out. What is wrong is thinking you are better than others simply because you have the ability to avail yourself and family of resources others don't. I wonder, Lady Patricia, what is the point? I asked finally. The point? Yes, why bother with this charade? 
The ill will between our houses will obviously not be mended over a banquet, especially at the extremes House Kell has gone to further insult me and mine. Private, honest conversations may have done much to heal the breach, but there have been no attempts at reconciliation in these past days. No attempt to explain or foster a reconciliation since I ascended. Incessant demands and entreaties by your staff for me to attend this banquet, certainly. But from Lord Kell and yourself, not a word. No private messages congratulating me on my ascension. No apologies that your son attempted to murder me. No regrets that a guest of your house was kidnapped. No comments at all on the attempted assassination. Yet still we came. But we see, I said ominously, pulsing my Belaros aura and extending it as far as I could reach. I hoped. I wondered. What would the illusion-canceling aspect of Belaros aura reveal?